Psalms 19 verse 14 says that the word of God causes the words of our mouth and the meditations of our heart to be acceptable in God's sight. And so if you have your Bible with you today, and I hope you do, please turn to 1 Peter chapter 3 as we move into the next two points on how fearing God equips us to be everyday evangelists. And as I was thinking about how to start this message off, I just want to say I hope none of us are overlooking the immense treasure that this letter contains for us. Peter was one of the closest and most knowledgeable first-hand eyewitnesses and followers of Jesus, teaches us here what he learned from Christ himself on how to reach the lost and make disciples as we go about our everyday lives. As elect exiles chosen by God and yet being rejected by this world, God has given us a unique and challenging calling to not only keep ourselves unstained from this world, but also by God's grace and his gospel to reach it. And what Peter's been showing us over the last several months is that every day evangelism is fundamentally dependent on our own personal lives. If we want to attract the unsaved to faith in Jesus Christ by God's grace, we have to live lives that demonstrate the gospel we declare by God's grace as well. And Peter's been showing us how to do that ever since chapter 2, verse 13, on into today's passage. He summarized it for us all the way back in uh, verse 17 of chapter 2. Verse 17 of chapter 2, when he wrote, Be subject, honor everyone, love the brotherhood, and fear God. Those are four ways that we can underline the gospel with our lives and not undermine it. In the midst of a world that seeks to cast off right now all societal restraints, we can show proper subjection to our authorities. In the midst of a world that mocks and denigrates and vilifies anyone who disagrees with them, we can show honor and respect to everyone we interact with. In the midst of a world that sees Christians oftentimes seemingly as the root of all kinds of evil, we can love our brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus just as Jesus has loved us. In the midst of a world that sees God as of little importance or significance, we can fear God. And it's that last point that we're looking at now of how fearing God equips us to be everyday evangelists. And we've been slowly working through verses 13 through 14, where Peter outlines for us six evangelistic effects that the fear of God produces in the lives of those who belong to him. We've seen first that the fear of God, that is that reverent reflex of our heart towards God where the emotions of dread, awe, and wonder are variously mixed depending on our situation. The fear of God produces first a powerful life, one that courageously shares the gospel, even to those, I know it sounds weird to say it, even to those that we care about the most, because often it is when it is those that we care about the most that we actually make an idol and retreat from the gospel with. The fear of God produces a powerful life that courageously shares the gospel even into those relationships. Peter wrote in verse 13 through the beginning of verse 14, he said, Now who is there to harm you if you are zealous for doing what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. See, knowing that God protects us from everything that would not directly result in our eternal good and his eternal glory, it gives us courage knowing that we can do what is good and we can plainly proclaim the gospel, knowing that we we don't have to fear anything because we're not living for ourselves, right? (laughs) And we're not fearing for that person that we care for, right? 
And we're not even caring, and we're not even living for that conversation. We're living for the glory of God, and we need not fear anything except God alone. So the fear of God produces a powerful life. The last week we saw that a powerful life arises out of a pious heart. That's at the end of verse 14 and the beginning of verse 15, where Peter writes, Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. Right? Do not fear what they fear. Rather, in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy. Here we learn that the only thing that can drive out those worldly fears that keep us from witnessing is possessing a greater fear of Christ. We must make every effort through the word of God and prayer to so exalt our view of Jesus Christ that his very majesty and glory and worth becomes our own courage and conviction and motivation in sharing the gospel. In other words, we take a moment and we think to ourselves, how much is Jesus worth to me? How can I not share him to those I care about the most? This is where everyday evangelism Begins. It begins with a pious heart, one that greatly loves, values, and fears Jesus. Well, that pious heart that fears God produces four more evangelistic effects that we're going to continue to look at today. We're going to see today that the fear of God produces a prepared mind there in the middle of verse 15. And then it also produces a polite tongue there at the end of verse 15. And then next week, we're going to see how the fear of God produces a pure conscience in verse 16 and a proper perspective on life and suffering in verse 17. And so if we want to grow in everyday evangelism and we want to make evangelism not something that we do, but it's something that we are as everyday evangelists, then we need to grow in the fear of the Lord. For it is the fear of the Lord that produces a powerful life, a pious heart, a prepared mind, a polite tongue, a pure conscience, and a proper perspective. So, with that in mind, if you would please stand with me this morning out of reverence for the Word of God as I read our passage before us today from 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 13 through 17. The Apostle Peter, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, writes these words for us today. Now who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy. Always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. Having a good conscience... So that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. This is the word of God who blesses us when we keep his commandments, when we seek him with all our heart. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word this morning. We thank you that it will encourage us and it will convict us. We thank you most of all, Father, that it will change us. For your word does not return void. And so, Father, we we lay ourselves out before you today. And we ask that you would do a work that only you can do. That you would change our hearts to see a more exalted view of Christ And that in light of that exalted view of our Lord and Savior, we would 
live lives that honor Him, starting in our own thoughts and in our words. Father, make us to be everyday evangelists for the sake of Your glory and the gospel in this world. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So, As God begins to grow in our affection and our devotion for Jesus Christ, as we spend more time with Christ and we read those good books about Him, right? As God begins to develop within us that pious heart, we are to direct that growing affection and devotion for Jesus towards developing first a prepared mind. That's at the end part of verse 15. Peter writes that as we increasingly set apart and exalt Jesus Christ as Lord and as God in our hearts, that increased reverence for Jesus ought to drive us towards always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. In short, it is, it is the fear of God and it is our reverence for Jesus Christ that causes us to pursue a prepared mind because Jesus is first in our hearts He becomes first in our minds. He is what we think about, what we contemplate, what we meditate on, and what we prepare to share with others. We are to have a prepared mind. The fear of God produces this. Peter says here that we are to always be prepared. As followers of Jesus Christ, as elect exiles, we are to always be ready. You say, well, ready to do what? Ready to do what? To make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. See, as everyday evangelists, we are to always be ready to make a defense. That word defense is apology in the Greek, and it's a courtroom term that, would, that means being cross-examined and having to give a formal defense, having to give a reason or an explanation for your words or for your actions. And our author, Peter, by the way, had to do this many, many times. In Acts chapter 2, I don't have time to go to all the Acts chapter 2, Acts chapter 3, Acts chapter 4, Acts chapter 5, Acts chapter 12, Peter had to give a defense of Jesus Christ and of the gospel that he lived out on multiple occasions. He had to give a defense before the Jewish crowds on the day of Pentecost. He had to give a defense before the Jewish high council who could have killed him on the spot for following Jesus. And he had to give a defense even before King Herod himself. And according to early church tradition, in the end, Peter was crucified upside down in Rome after after presenting a defense for Jesus Christ before the Roman emperor Nero himself. Peter knows what he's talking about when he says you need to be ready to give a defense. Peter knew what it was like to give a formal, reasonable defense for your words, for your beliefs, and for your actions. And the need for making such a formal defense before authorities still exists today. In fact, on the other side of the globe today, believers are going to be dragged out of their churches even as they're worshiping. They're going to be brought before civil and religious authorities today to be judged regarding what they teach, believe, and do And in these moments, our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ are going to be called on to give a defense for why they teach what they teach. 
and why they believe what they believe and why they're doing what they're doing and why they must honor Jesus and ma- as master and as the Lord above all. This is going to be happening and already is today. Ladies and gentlemen, they're not alone. The days are fast approaching when we, on this side of the globe, will stand before a judge and will be called on to make a defense for why we are obeying God rather than man. And I think we've seen examples of this in recent American history. Question, are you preparing your mind for that moment? That moment when we will have to make a defense? For what we teach, what we believe, and what we do. But to be fair, I think Peter actually makes a far broader idea here in mind than just being giving a formal defense before a magistrate. But there is going to be a day when we're going to have to give that. How much do you like Bible doctrine? How much do you study it? There's going to be a day when you wish you loved it a whole lot more. Because the time to know the reason for why you teach, believe, and do what you're doing, the time to study those things is now, not cracking the book while you're in a jail cell. But again, to be fair, I think Peter actually makes a, has a far broader idea here in mind than just giving a formal defense before a magistrate. That's why he says here, be prepared to make a defense notice. He says, to anyone... Anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Anyone, whether it be an earthly judge that you're dragged in front of, or it could even be the person that is scanning your groceries at the store, or that coworker who stopped by your workstation that day to chat, or it could be even the child that you're tucking in at night who suddenly becomes a deep theologian and wants to know why there's so much chaos in the world right now. Be ready, be prepared to make a defense to anyone. To anyone who asks you a reason, who asks you for a reasonable, a logical, and intelligent explanation for the hope that is in you. And notice, we're to be ready to give that clear, reasonable, intelligent explanation when they ask you for a reason for the hope that they see where. Where are they seeing it? They're seeing it in you. See, this is where... This is how evangelism is grounded in our own personal lives. When we demonstrate submission in a world of rebellion, when we demonstrate respect in a world of scorn, when we demonstrate love in a world marked by hatred, and when we demonstrate fear in a world of irreverence, that's when people start taking notice. That's when people start asking questions. The power of the church's evangelism in this world is not by becoming like the world. It's by standing out as different from the world. And as the world sees something in us different, they start asking questions. First among them, why? 
why do you spend so much time doing this and going here rather than watching that and doing this? Right? You haven't watched that television show? What's wrong with you? Right? (laughs) Why are you talking so carefully about those in authority, either in government or the workplace, even when what they're doing is so annoying and inconvenient? You're secretly in the other party, aren't you? Why do you always seem so positive and at peace about things when life looks like every night on the nightly news that things are falling apart? How can you live so confidently that justice, that injustice will be crushed, that wrongs will be righted, and that your life will be just fine in the end? Why are you the way you are? Why don't you have the same priorities as me? What's going on? And in that moment, when our spouse or our coworker or our child or our friend or our neighbor or our classmate access this, we need to be able and prepared to give a reasonable, logical, intelligent answer from the Word of God. We're to always be prepared to do this. Always. In fact, this word prepared... This word prepared is used over in Matthew 24, 44, where Jesus says, Therefore you also must be ready. Why? For the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Right? You never know. You never know when someone's going to ask you for a reason for the hope that is in you. And so you need to be prepared in advance. And being ready requires effort, doesn't it? I mean, being prepared takes what? Preparation. Right? Here's Captain Obvious. So how... Can we do more than just read the Bible? How can we put it into practice? How can we prepare ourselves and be ready in advance to give a reasonable, logical, intelligent answer for what we believe and how we live? Newsflash. It's not going to be by you giving yourself to video games or Christian romance novels. Have I stepped on both shoes yet? Francine Rivers doesn't cut it today. If you're going to stand for Christ, you better study Scripture's doctrines. We must know the Word of God. As elect exiles, don't become enamored with vanity fair's distractions. We are headed to a destination, and we're to be bringing other pilgrims with us. We must know the Word of God. We must know the Word of God. As 2 Timothy 3, 16 through 17 says, All Scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete. Here it is. Equipped or ready for every good work. And giving a defense for our faith in Jesus Christ and an answer for the hope that is in us is surely one of those good works. And Scripture equips us for it. It is, in itself, sufficient. I'll never forget my first year in college getting the prerequisites for constitutional law out of the way when I still thought I was going to be a politician. God spared me from that. And suddenly, finding myself in the middle of all of these open classroom discussions, even though it's supposed to be about, like, English class or literature, like, we all of a sudden find these discussions about truth and morality and various religions, And I'm looking at, like, my syllabus. What class am I signed up for? 
And though I had never taken any apologetics course, and I had never studied any philosophy or any writings about Buddha or Hinduism or Catholicism or Islam or anything else, what shocked me in those moments is I was able to engage in debates with the professor and with other students in that classroom. Why? It's because I knew the Word of God. I was prepared. And by the way, that credit, I say this quickly, that credit doesn't go to me because I was only 18 at the time. The credit goes to my parents who made sure I was memorizing Scripture when I was in Awana, who made sure I was hearing Scripture every Sunday at church, who made sure that I was being taught the Scriptures every day at school. And ultimately, the credit goes to God who promises that His Word will never return void. Believer, if you want to always be prepared to give a defense, if you want to be always prepared for everyday evangelism, the Word of God is sufficient. Believe it and be in it. As 2 Timothy 2.15 says, Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved a worker who has no need to be ashamed. Why? Because he rightly handles the word of truth. If we eat the solid food, pure milk, and daily bread of the word, then we can have prepared minds that are ready to give an answer and make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yes, there are other books that are helpful. If you're curious about what some of those are, you can step into my pastor's office and I have a whole section on apologetics, right? Some of them I've read. <laughs> um, <laughs> this is, yeah. So, <laughs> but the Word of God is sufficient to make you ready for every good work and to equip you to be ready to give a defense when anybody asks you for a reason for the reason for the hope that is in you, right? So before we move on to our next point, let me just give you three practical ways that we can do that. So we can prepare ourselves by the word of God, okay? So this is, you're, you're, you're going to be shocked by how novel this is. First, read scripture. Read the Bible. Jesus promises in Luke 12, 12 and John 14, 26, that we don't have to worry about how we should defend ourselves or what we should say when we have to get defense for the Holy Spirit will teach us what to say. He will bring to our remembrance what Christ has taught us. But listen, I want you to consider this for a moment this morning. The Holy Spirit can only bring to your remembrance that which you've actually first read, right? I mean, the Holy Spirit can't bring to your remembrance a truth or a verse that you've never read or noticed before. As Proverbs 22:21 says, the only way you can answer what is true is if first you know what is true. And so the first step in developing a prepared mind and giving a defense is reading the Bible. Second, another newsflash, think <laughs> when you're reading the Bible. I know this sounds ridiculously simple, but when you think about things, you tend to notice things. And when you notice things, you tend to learn and remember them. And that's the stuff that you can then use later in evangelism. And I'm sure I'm not alone. You remember, you, this happens all the time. You're talking to someone, and God brings to your remembrance something that you noticed or thought about in your Bible reading that day. And even though it is something that you would have never thought would have come in handy in that conversation, it ends up being perfectly what you needed to share. That's what happens when you think when you're reading the Bible. And so if you and I are going to be prepared to give an answer, then we need not only to read the Bible, we need to think about it when we're reading it. That is easier said than done. I don't know how many times this past week I got done reading a passage in my Bible only to realize that I had no idea what I just read. This gets worse, by the way, the more kids you have. (laughs) So you know what I had to do? I had to read that passage all over again and force myself to actually think about what I was reading. 
okay, God is, right? What does this passage teach me about the character of God? Okay, God does. What is this passage showing me about how God works? Okay, I must, right? What is this passage showing me that I should respond in, in such and such a way? Right? Some, some days thinking takes real effort. <laughs> but it's what's needed if we're going to prepare ourselves for everyday evangelism. And so if you want to prepare your mind to be ready for everyday evangelism and read the Bible, think while you're reading the Bible. And then finally, memorize key verses of the Bible. One of the best ways that we can daily take up the sword of the Spirit and carry it around with us, whether we have a Bible with us or not, is to memorize key doctrinal verses, specifically those related to the hope of the gospel. Because while we can't anticipate every question that's going to come our way, we can memorize key doctrinal verses that are vitally related to our faith and our hope in Jesus Christ. And so if you've never memorized the Romans Road, I know it gets a hard rap, but it's a good place to start. Some very basic doctrinal verses. And if you'd like an additional tool... And how to memorize these key doctrinal verses, I'd encourage you to stop outside the church office as you're leaving today. I've got a list of 53 recommended verses for memorizing, and you can grab yourself a copy. One verse a week will get you through the whole year. Because memorizing key verses of the Bible is one of the best things that we can do towards developing a prepared mind and becoming fully established in the principles of Scripture. Read Scripture, think about Scripture, memorize Scripture. This is one of the ways that we love the Lord our God with all of our minds. With all of our minds. It's by preparing our mind through reading, thinking about, and memorizing the Bible. The world we need, that we live in, ladies and gentlemen, needs Christians who not only believe the truth, but can present good biblical arguments for why they believe it. That goes beyond, well, I just heard that in church one time, or that's what my pastor told me. Wow. Christians... This world needs Christians who can meet error and empty philosophy with the argument, thus it is written, and who can wield the sword of the Spirit with precision and skill. Because it is, as Peter said back in verse 25 of chapter 1, this is the word that is the good news that was preached to you. It is what causes you to be born again. We need to know how to wield it if we're going to be a part of everyday evangelism. That'll only happen as we read Scripture, think about Scripture, and memorize Scripture as we prepare our minds through the Word of God. So, as God begins to grow our affection and devotion for Jesus, that should be directed primarily towards preparing our minds. We're to direct that growing reverence towards developing a prepared mind. And second, very briefly, it is to go towards developing a polite tongue. End of verse 15. Peter writes, Always be prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Never retreat from giving a reason. Never retreat from sharing the truth. Never retreat from proclaiming the gospel. Yet, do it with gentleness and respect. How important that is in evangelism. How needful of a reminder this is. Because we all know what it's like, right? When you're in a good debate... Or in a good discussion, you've got the right answer, right? And it's right there on the tip of your tongue, and it tastes so sweet. And you're just sitting there thinking, are you done talking yet? Are you done talking? And then you just, boom, here's the truth, right? We all know what's that like. You're just waiting to devastate them with your answer. It's into those quiet moments as you're sitting there thinking, oh, come on, let me give this. When the Spirit whispers, do this with gentleness and respect. Brothers and sisters, this is a word for us in our day. Probably, I have to think, 
it at least feels like, than at any other stage in church history. We live in a world that exalts being harsh and disrespectful. Our national representatives run for office not by debating policy. They don't even pretend to do that anymore. They just call their opponents names like weak, little, loser, do-nothings. And we're like, that's the guy I want to vote for. It's awesome. Where's the substance of arguments anymore? People just call each other names and they throw around labels and they get applauded for it. They're actually getting exalted and chosen because of it. Followers of Christ, we must not be like that at all, at all. We must give reasoned arguments with gentleness and respect. As 2 Timothy 2, 24-25 states, The Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone. He must correct his opponents with gentleness, for God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth. Brothers, this is our calling is not to call names. Our calling is to give people reasoned, logical, intelligent answers concerning our words, beliefs, and actions concerning our hope in Jesus with gentleness, and then he says this, with respect. That word is phobos, it's fear. We are to possess a healthy fear, not of man, as verse 14 already made clear, but a healthy fear of God as we're speaking to other people. A healthy fear of God that leads to a healthy respect for all those who have been made in God's image. Even when we're giving a reasoned defense, we must honor everyone, just as chapter 2, verse 17 said. We must bear witness to Christ with an acute reverence for God, for the truth, and for the person that we're speaking to. Otherwise, we're going to be undermining the gospel that we're sharing rather than underlining it. We must do it with gentleness and respect and with a polite tongue. Even Martin Luther, who was pretty harsh sometimes, (laughs) upon reflecting on his own experience before the Council of Worms, said this, you must never answer with proud words and bring out the matter with defiance and violence as if you would tear up trees, but with such fear and lowliness as if you stood before God's own tribunal. You must stand in fear And not rest in your own strength, but on the word and the promises of Christ alone. In other words, make a defense with gentleness and respect. Make it, but make it with gentleness and respect. Speak the truth, as Ephesians says, in love. As I was thinking about this, you know, you and I can only do that by the transforming and self-controlling power of the Holy Spirit. Our author Peter was a perfect example of that. If you study his life before Pentecost, Peter was not exactly a model of self-restraint, was he? He was, like many of us, what you might... He possessed what many of us uh, you might, might call foot-and-mouth disease. He said what he thought, whenever he thought it, however he wanted to say it. But after the Spirit of God indwelt him, you see him throughout the book of Acts answering every opponent with absolute graciousness and respect, with a polite tongue. He was bold. He was powerful. He was polite. This is what the Spirit of God did in the life of Peter. This is what the Spirit of God can do in our lives as well. We must remember that the last two virtues in the fruit of the Spirit is gentleness and self-control. 
That truth is full of glorious hope because it means that by the Spirit of God within us, you and I can make a compelling Christ, we can make a compelling case for Christ in our day simply by showing by our tongues Christ-like gentleness and respect as we give the defense for Jesus. We can't argue anyone into the kingdom, but we can't attract their attention to it. And one of the ways God attracts the attention of the lost to Jesus Christ and the saving message of the gospel is through a gentle, respectful, reasoned defense of the faith. And this is what the fear of God produces. So as God begins to grow our heart's devotion towards Jesus Christ, we're to direct that growing affection and devotion towards developing a prepared mind and a polite tongue that are equipped to demonstrate and to declare the saving grace of God in Christ Jesus. So what a privilege that we get to be about this kingdom work to demonstrate and declare by our arguments and our actions that Jesus Christ is Lord and that he has power to save. So, application. I've already given one of it. Read your Bible this week, right? Think about what you're reading. Memorize key doctrine. Second, do you own a systematic theology book? If not, come and talk to me, and I'll give you some recommendations. It's time that we, as a church in America, in our day, begin to prepare our minds to give a defense for the hope that is in us with gentleness and respect. This is all our duties as fellow pilgrims on a path to glory. May God give us grace to do just this, to equip ourselves through the reading, thinking, and memorizing of the Word of God so that we might be prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you with gentleness and respect so that we might always have a prepared mind and a polite tongue. We'll have to look at the final two evangelistic effects of fearing God next week, but for now, this is the Word of God from 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15, which I now commit to your further study and your faithful obedience and the fervent care of one another until Jesus, the hope that is in us, appears. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for Jesus. I thank you that we have this good news to share in the midst of a world that is overcome in despair and discouragement. We can enter into every relationship that we have with hope, the hope of Jesus. Father, help us not to retreat from that gospel message and help us not to appeal to others purely on the basis of emotion but help us to understand the reasons for why we believe what we believe. Help us to reply to people's needs and hearts with the word of God, the implanted word which is able to save souls. Help us to be, help us to be skilled in your word so that we might rightly handle it in our day. Father, help us by your grace. Help us this week to be in your word. Father, we... We ask for forgiveness where we have retreated from it and ignored it. Bring us back to your word this week. Give us grace to think about it and help us to hide it into our hearts through memorization. Father, as we come to know more and more about you, work in us and through us so that this would not be a knowledge that puffs up, but it would be a knowledge that produces a polite tongue. May we speak the truth and may we speak it in love 
and reverence towards you and honor towards those around you in our day so that Christ would be honored and exalted above all else. Make us everyday evangelists in the fear of you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.